This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Thank you very much for joining us today and welcome to the Explorathon Lunch Bites podcast, a chance for you to hear about some of the latest research projects coming from the University of Aberdeen while you enjoy your lunch break. Explorathon 2020 is a week-long programme of events being brought to you by the University of Aberdeen and other Scottish universities as part of European Researchers' Night, which this year takes place on the 27th of November. European Researchers' Night is a Europe-wide public event which tries to bring researchers closer to the public. And this week, amongst other events, the University of Aberdeen is bringing you a daily podcast, giving you the opportunity to hear from some of our local researchers about their projects in a range of different disciplines. All events being run as part of the Explorathon 2020 programme can be found on the website at www.explorathon.co.uk and the programme is being funded by the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme under the Mare Slodowska Curie Actions Grant Agreement 955376. After listening to today's podcast, please let us know any comments or feedback by contacting us on Twitter or Facebook at ERNScott or use the hashtag Explorathon20. You can also put any questions or comments to us by email by contacting the University's Public Engagement with Research Unit at Peru, and that's spelt P-E-R-U, at abdn.ac.uk. The use of performance-related pay is documented in a number of sectors. But what impact does it have on stress for people working in those industries? I'm joined today by Professor Keith Bender and Dr Nicole Andelik from the University of Aberdeen Business School, who are currently trying to answer that very question through their Economic and Social Research Council funded project. Their research seeks to measure stress through cortisol and they will also assess what that could mean for the long-term health of workers. Professor Keith Bender, and Dr. Nicole Andelik, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us, Rachel. Thank you very much. So what is performance-related pay? So performance-related pay is simply being paid for what you do. It's not being paid for the time for what you do, but actually what you produce. And in what sectors of business is it most used? Yeah, so um, it's... it's used um, throughout almost all sectors. Um, the key thing is um, how well can you actually measure what people um, do rather than uh, measuring just their their time. Um, there are multiple ways that um, performance-related pay can can be actually implemented into um, into a, a worker's contract. So maybe the most um, direct form is what are called piece rates. So these are uh, payments that you get for doing a particular thing. So if you're thinking about an agricultural sector. Um, picking um, strawberries or um, uh, pulling up potatoes or, or whatever, uh, and you get paid by the, the punnet of, of strawberries or the uh, bushel of, uh, of, of potatoes. That's the kind of um, very direct kind of performance-related pay. So we tend to see that in industries, relatively simple industries, where it's, it's relatively easy to measure exactly uh, the kind of performance that people are having. Um, on the other side, uh, what we see is that uh, jobs where um, sort of higher level jobs, professional jobs, where again, it's relatively easy to measure uh, performance. So one example would be in sales. 
So there are a lot of sales jobs where um, where you may get a, a salary, um, but you may earn um, even more through commissions. So if you think of traditionally uh, uh, car salespeople, uh, so yes, they get a salary, but um, they also get uh, money for um, for the sale of, of cars. And then you have some very high level professional jobs, um, such as lawyers, finance people, um, who again uh, are are billed uh, are billing for the time that they are actually working on a particular case if you're a lawyer or um, if you're in finance, for example, um, the the uh, amount of money that you make for for your clients. So all of those can be examples of of areas where um, we have this kind of performance related pay. And historically, is it something that's been used in business? So, so yes, um, you know the the, the benefit for um, firms is that it does directly tie pay to performance, and so at least in theory, what it does is it um, it, it gives an incentive for for higher performance, and and so um, yes, um, for 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 many many years, um, there's been this tie of, of trying to make sure that the workers are actually paid for the things that they do on the job. So, what are the benefits of performance-related pay for the employer and for the worker? Yeah, well, like I said, um, the, the idea from the firm's point of view is they want to make as, their workers as, as productive as, as possible. And so one way, again, is, is to tie their pay to um, how much they actually uh, actually produce. And, and there is, a, in the economics literature at least, there is a, a correlation uh, between performance-related pay and, and higher productivity in, in firms. Um, likewise, for workers, at least the benefit is that very often um, economic research has found that the workers who are paid by performance um, actually earn more than than people who are paid under um, other kinds of of contracts. Um, there's more debate in the literature about whether um, workers really like it or not, at least as measured by job satisfaction. There are some papers that find that workers who are paid by their performance uh, do have higher job satisfaction. There are other papers, though, that that say, well, no, actually, that that. Um, that isn't true. Uh, uh, the practical side and much of the difficulty about the uh, the way that these contracts are set, though, is that you the firm really needs to be able to observe <laughs> that productivity. And if they can't observe that very well, but yet they still have a, a performance-related pay contract, that can generate a lot of ill will um, amongst uh, amongst workers. Okay. Thank you. And you've already mentioned that there is some research out there that has looked at the issue of, of performance-related pay. Is there much research out there that's looked at how performance-related pay impacts on workers themselves, both from a performance point of view, but also from a psychological or physical point of view? Right. Well, I mentioned the the research that that does look at the kind of performance side, and and it, it does seem that there is a correlation there. And, and I've chosen that word very carefully, a correlation, um, because there there is a strain in in, in the economics literature that that says, well, um, it. What is maybe unclear is whether there's a causation argument uh, to be had um, that that actually the thing that firms hope happens, that they set the pay based on performance, generates higher productivity, um, may not actually hold. And the reason why that is, is because people who are naturally 
more productive would find this kind of contract really attractive, right? If I'm if I'm really really good at what I do, um, I want to find a job that pays me for my performance because then I can make a lot more money than if I'm in a very similar job but I'm just getting paid for my time, regardless of how um, how much productivity that that I have. So so you get what economists call a selection effect, so that um, these kinds of jobs attract naturally more productive uh, work. So, so when at the end of the day, when you do your analysis and you find, oh yes, the those in performance-related pay um, are more productive, is it because of the actual contract, or is it because of the attraction of uh, of getting these workers in? Maybe from the point of view of the firm, they don't really care uh, because they're getting more productive workers regardless regardless of whether it's the contract or whether it's the selection effect. Um, but from a theoretical point of view, from an economist's point of view, what I really care about is, well, then can I go out and tell another firm to say, well, put in a performance-related pay um, contract, and that will mean that um, you will have more productive workers. It's harder to come up with that, uh, with that idea. You asked about sort of the other aspects of, of performance-related pay and, and the research around that. And, and there, is, um, there is some research on, on the kind of uh, what I like to call the un unintended consequences of performance-related pay. And this was actually motivated uh, very early on by uh, none other than the Scottish economist um, Adam Smith back in the 18th century. Uh, he wrote um, one of his most famous books in 1776 called The Wealth of Nations. And in there, he states that workmen, when they are liberally paid by the peace, are very apt to overwork themselves and to ruin their health and constitution. And when I read that, I thought, boy, that's really interesting, because even in the 18th century, um, Adam Smith was observing that there's a linkage between performance-related pay and health. And uh, looking through the literature, there, there is some, uh, some research results that are out there that seem to indicate that there is a, a negative relationship. So those people who are paid by performance tend to have worse health than uh, those who are not paid by performance. So you've said that potentially there could be an impact on people's health by undertaking performance-related pay models, and your research project is seeking to find that out. Can you provide us with an overview of the research project? Yes, so um, although there is some research that looks at the impact of performance-related pay on health, there are, um, there are a couple of issues with the previous research. So much of the research looks at kind of large-scale surveys um, which find that workers who are paid by PRP um, tend to have worse health. And um, there are various reasons for why that might be. So it could be that those who have um, those who are paid by performance where they pay are more likely to take risks. So if we're thinking about the very simple example that Keith gave earlier, if you're um, picking strawberries or picking apples, for example, and you're motivated to increase your productivity, you might take risks so that you're working faster or producing more, and then um, you're more likely to get into accidents. Another way that PRP might um, impact on your health is that because you're motivated to work more, you might therefore engage less in healthy behaviors. So um, for example, previous research has found that workers who are paid by PRP tend to work more hours per week than those not. 
And so that might be at the expense of free time, which could be spent on exercise or relaxing activities. It's also possible that people who work in PRP might engage in behaviour that are detrimental to one's health, like um, heavy drinking, for example, or drug use. And then finally, it's also possible that just the nature of working in PRP um, and the uncertain income stream are inherently stressful. And although we as humans are very good at recovering from brief episodes of stress, um, it's found that these kind of persistent and long-term stress actually leads to psychological and physiological damage through wear and tear on the body, and that eventually compromises our immune system. So although there are these different research surveys that have found an association between PRP and poor health, um, it's very difficult to establish what the causation is there, that PRP is definitely the causal factor. So it might be that people who um, are paid by PRP then have poor health due to one of these different pathways, but it could also be that people who um, have a propensity towards ill health are more likely to get these contracts um, due to difficulties holding down other contracts. So really what we need to do then is to use an experimental design. And, um, and that's really what our research project is about. It's about establishing this um, causal factor that PRP has on poor health. And what is it that you're, you're measuring? You know, you've touched on stress. How was stress measured in your study? So we measure stress or specifically we measure physiological stress. And uh, we look at stress or we look at cortisol and when we experience stress, cortisol is released into our bloodstream, both as a response to the stress and also as a way to help us cope with it. So it increases our heart rate and it helps us um, manage this stressful trigger that we are experiencing. And um, although we can measure cortisol through uh, blood, for example, a very non-invasive way to measure cortisol is through salivary cortisol. So we have these test tubes with cotton swabs in them that we can ask our participants to chew for a minute and then they are sent off to our laboratory and we can extract the cortisol and measure the levels of, um, of physiological stress. So tell me more about the project. What, uh, what has been the emerging findings? So the project consists of seven experiments. Um, out of those seven, we have only completed one so far, but the the overarching idea is that they all have a very basic design. So um, participants are invited to come into the Scottish Economic Experimental Lab, where we have a number of PCs set up. And when they are there, they are allocated to a contract in a work task. So they are either allocated to completing a work task whilst they're being paid by performance-related pay. So for each work task that they complete, they are paid um, a certain amount, or they are allocated to a contract in which they are paid by minimum performance. So they have just a fixed pay, like a like a fixed salary, as long as they reach sort of the minimum effort levels. Now, the first of those experiments, which we have completed, is um, it's really there to just examine the robustness of the link between performance-related pay and acute physiological stress. So we invite participants in and we randomly allocate them into one of these two payment contracts and they are not aware of the other contract when they are allocated to these and then we invite them back a week after 
and we allocate them to the other contract at that point. So that way we can measure the impact of performance rated pay on stress whilst controlling for individual factors um, as well as other kind of sociodemographic covariates which may impact on your experience of stress. And what this first experiment shows is that actually we can see an effect of performance rated pay. So both when measuring subjective stress, when we're asking people afterwards, you know, how stressful did you find this task? People who were in the performance related pay contract report as feeling more stressful or more stressed in the performance related pay than they did when they were in the fixed payment contract. And when we look at their cortisol levels, this confirms our findings. So we can see that people who, uh, when they are in the performance rated pay contract, their cortisol is higher after the work task than it is when they are in the minimum performance contract. So they seem to, they are not able to recover from these work tasks as quickly when they are in the performance related pay contract than the minimum performance contract. That's really interesting. Thank you very much. Now you mentioned you've conducted one experiment so far. What are the next steps for this research project? Um, yes, so the first experiment was, as I said, it was just to kind of see how robust is this association between performance related pay and stress. But of course, in the real kind of labor, labor market, there are many other factors which may impact on how stressful you find your working experience. So um, if we go back to the sort of picking strawberries example, it might be that you're very quick at picking strawberries and you are very resilient towards stress. And so you have self-selected into this contract, which might then mitigate the amount of stress that you feel. On the other hand, it might be that, um, that you actually are penalized for any bad strawberries that are picked or if you drop upon it. And so how does that impact on your stress if you are aware that if you make a mistake, then you might also um, you might actually lose some of your pay at the end of the day. And similarly, if we raise the stakes, so it might be that you're paid so much per punnet of strawberry that actually you're not particularly stressed about picking because you know that even if you, um, you, you know that you don't have to worry because you, you will earn enough by the end of the day, even if you don't perform um, as high as you would like to. And also there are other factors such as your um, your peers, how much are they picking? Uh, are you constantly evaluating yourself against your peers, or are you being monitored by another, by a supervisor? And how does that affect your stress? Now, all of these things are all of these factors. We can actually um, create a, an experimental setting which imitates these, in which we can raise the stakes of how much you're paid per work task, or we can penalize if you make mistakes in the work task. And we also have um, experimental contexts where we have somebody who is monitoring the participants at all times, and where we tell participants that they are going to be compared against their peers. Um, and so, and after the work task, they will find out how well they have done in comparison to their peers. So we can look at all these factors, but within a very controlled setting. And how many participants will you have taken part in the study over the over the lifespan of this project? Um, so in total we have um, or we are planning to have 665 participants, although it might be slightly more by the by the end of the project. 
Oh, sorry, just one of the biggest challenges, obviously, right now in, in the time of um, a pandemic um, is um, it's really affected our ability to run uh, the experiments. Um, you know, pre, pre-March, um, collecting um, saliva was, was a relatively um, easy thing to do of all the things that you could collect from people. Um, but obviously, uh, under, these, uh, under COVID, it becomes much more, um, much more difficult and we have to um, have, you know, correct um, PPE and and social distancing and, and all of that. So um, there may be some impacts on on um, the experiment structure and that kind of thing uh, as well. I, I should also say that you know, one of the main things that differentiates our research project from previous research that has looked at PRP and stress is that this is an interdisciplinary project. So um, apart from Professor Keith Bender and Professor Yanis Theodosio, who are in the economics department, we also work with Dr. Julia Allen and Dr. Dan Powell at the Institute of Applied Health Sciences, who have experience of working with cortisol and stress. So um, whereas previous research has very much been carried out by economists only, um, this is kind of a novel project which utilizes the experience of health psychologists so that we can really get to the bottom of the impact of PRP on stress. That's really good to know and it's great that it's multidisciplinary. So in terms of performance related pay in the future, do you think it will continue to be used by businesses? Yes, I, I think it will be um, just because for, for certain kinds of jobs, um, we know that there is this correlation between performance related pay and uh, and, and performance. Um, and 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 so there there are strong reasons for um, for firms wanting to continue with that. Um, something that we haven't mentioned so far, uh, but but we certainly fits into this broader field is that a lot of entrepreneurship and self-employment also um, could be characterized as performance-related pay. Um, even jobs such as gig jobs um, that, that we see uh, becoming more and more popular um, even during the pandemic, um, these are all performance-related pay jobs as, as well. You know, the delivery drivers or the, um, the Just Eat uh, bicycle uh, folks, um, they, they only get paid when um, when they deliver a, uh, a meal to someplace. And, and so we've seen a rise in those kinds of, of, uh, of jobs as well. And, and indeed, those still may have the kind of uh, physiologically um, adverse um, either stress or injuries or, or other kinds of uh, bad health outcomes. So, so I think that there is um, still a desire for firms to want to um, to employ this kind of contract, I think the challenge for firms and how we're trying to engage with with firms um, is to say, well, while you may get these benefits, you need to worry about the costs as well. Uh, we know um, from government sources, for example, uh, the the number of lost workdays because of stress and ill health, um, even before the pandemic, um, was going up, um, and and. Business cares about that. Governments care about that because of the public health aspects. Um, workers and trade unions care about that because obviously it's affecting uh, workers as well. And so um, to be able to design policies, if, if, if a firm wants to have performance-related pay, needs to, divide, to design policies to try to mitigate any kind of increase in stress 
or um, implement policies that help with health and safety if, if you're worried about injuries and, and risk-taking, um, being able to, to acknowledge that that cost is there and to try to come up with policies to deal with that is, is an important thing for, for all three of the stakeholders to, um, to, to incorporate. So firms need to worry about it because it's going to cost them if, if their workers get stressed out um, or have a heart attack or can't, um, can't perform because they've injured themselves. Public health officials and the NHS need to care about this because if, if we see increases in performance-related pay, it can have a public health aspect. And obviously, workers and potentially their representatives should care about this because it's their health that, that we're talking about. And what type of measures could be put in place? Well, um, I mean, really anything that, that helps reduce the, the, the stress. Um, so, so we could think of, of various ways of, of doing that. I mean, one would be uh, perhaps giving more guarantees uh, on, on income. As Nicole mentioned earlier, um, one of the pathways of the stress might be this uncertainty in, in pay. Um, so again, just to take the, the um, Deliveroo uh, driver, um, you know, they never know when they show up for a shift how many meals that, that they'll be able to deliver. And if they're um, unlucky, they may only get one or two, and then they only get paid for one or two meals. Um, they may be um, very lucky and, uh, and, and, and be able to, to have a full night of being able to deliver, to deliver meals. So, so that adds a lot of uncertainty about the income stream. So maybe trying to smooth that out a little bit more uh, it would, would help. Um, Nicole also mentioned earlier, there may be uh, reasons why performance-related pay uh, kind of adjusts the, the way that people think about time. They, they spend more time at work, and so they're not doing these kinds of exercises. They're not eating healthfully. You know, they're doing, they're, they're having their takeout at their desk as they're, uh, as they're eating. Um, so, so if firms can think about ways of, of either maybe subsidizing um, uh, gym memberships, for example, um, to try to get uh, their workers to um, to exercise more and to engage in, in healthy behaviors. Um, those kinds of things could could potentially help as well. Great, thank you very much for taking part in today's podcast. It's been great to hear about the work that you're doing, and I wish you all the best moving forward as you complete the study. Professor Keith Bender and Dr. Nicole Andalik, thank you very much. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for having us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, but for now, thanks for joining us. And keep an eye out for our other Explorathon Lunch Bites podcasts. As I said at the beginning, we'd love to get your comments and feedback, so please use the hashtag Explorathon20 or tag us on Twitter or Facebook at ERNScott. You can also email the University's Public Engagement with Research Unit by emailing peru at ebdn. .ac.uk. If you're interested in finding out about the other events taking place as part of Explorathon 2020, you can visit the website at www.explorathon.co.uk. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.